Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Good morning. How we doing? Everybody's good today? You know, it occurred to me earlier that Pastor Casey and I are dressed pretty similar, and we could be twins. We're both 6'3", you know, built like a swimmer, and... Uh, no, hey, we're glad you're here today. We're thankful that you're here. You sounded great, and uh, it's already been mentioned a couple of times, but, uh, you know, we're right here, day 15 of the 21 days of prayer. On the home stretch, the final week, we conclude our 21 days this coming Saturday. We started on Sunday, January the 5th, and so, uh, man, our, our, our prayer times in the morning, those prayer gatherings at 6 a.m. have been amazing, great attendance every single day. I'm so thankful for those that have been able to come, whether that's every day or you've just been able to come one or two of those days. And I invite you to join us this week for this final week. Uh, it's a really special time. And if you can't be here during the week, uh, we bump it back a little bit on Saturday. So from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., come this next Saturday for the concluding uh, service together. It's one hour. We'll get you out of here by 9 for sports or work or whatever it is that you've got. Or you can get home and, and do whatever you need to do. But a time of worship and prayer, a teaching there from John 21 on Saturday. But each day from the chapter that corresponds to that day. And then some fellowship together. It's an amazing time. And if you are fasting, if you've been fasting anything... Uh, whether that's food and meals or social media or whatever, uh, just stick with it. You've got this final week, and I believe that God's going to do more in this last week than perhaps he's done in these first 14 days or so. So I'm thankful that you're a part of this journey with us. It's been a great 21 days, or great 15 days, and I'm believing a great 21 days in total. Uh, so we're thankful that you're here. Last week, we started a new series called Live Like It Matters. And it was really this idea that came uh, to us over the last few months and, or so uh, that as we were beginning to make the transition from Canton Church to Generations Church. We were saying, okay, what is it that we're about? What do we want to help equip people to accomplish and to do? And really, this is our heart, to help you to live like it matters. We believe that as a Christ follower or someone on a faith journey, that as God is writing your story, which we believe that's what's happening, God is writing your story, that ultimately the way that you live should be different. It should matter for something beyond just yourself. It's not just about acquiring possessions or acquiring money or just being a good person, that your life matters beyond you to impact other people. So your marriage, if you're married, your, your parenting, your finances, the way that you work on your job, the way that you, uh, your, your student efforts in school, all of that matters because it helps to tell those around you the story that God is writing in your life. And so last week we talked about this first aspect of that, which is knowing God, that we believe in order for you to live like it matters, you have to know God. And, and we believe that's more than just knowing about God. It's truly knowing God personally in relationship with him, that you can know him, you can talk to him, you can pray, you can hear from him. He impresses things on your heart and in your mind. And, and we believe that you can be comforted by God and experience his presence, which we've already talked about a little bit today. But we want you to know God. We want to help to equip you to know God. And so we talked about some ways to do that. So if you weren't here, you can jump back on our podcast and catch up there. Today, I want to talk about the second aspect of, of really what we believe helps us to live like it matters. And that's really to find community to find your tribe, if you will. And, and what you need to know about us as a church is that we are not a church with groups. We are a church of groups. That groups, what we call G groups, we call them life groups and small groups and all kinds of things, but G groups ultimately are, are the tool, they're the vehicle for you to find biblical community in the context of our church. Now, there's other places you can have friends and you can do life with people, but ultimately we want to help you through this vehicle of G groups to find that biblical community. And for us, it's, it's really central to what we do. 
there are differences of churches when they are church with some groups. They just kind of add them on to what they do. We have been and are trying to become even more so a church where groups is central to what we do, that we're a church of group ministry so that it's not just about the Sunday morning or the Wednesday night for students or for kids, but ultimately groups are central to what we do. Just to give you kind of an example of that, last spring through our on-campus groups, our off-campus groups, maybe you've already heard me to kind of present this, but we had more people in groups, in those group settings than we had on Sunday mornings. And so we had more people involved in doing life together and engaging together, uh, whether that be around round tables and our couple to couple ministry, which is coming in just a few weeks, you'll hear more about that. Whether that was in home-based groups, on-campus groups here, student groups, kids groups, whatever that was, we had more people in those group environments than we even averaged in attendance on our Sunday mornings. Over this last fall, we had, again, just a a huge number of people that were in groups. And so I know that for some of us, we think, well, I don't want to get in a group because what if I'm the only one? Or what if people aren't, you know, signing up like I want to sign up? And I promise you, that's not the case here. There are people jumping into groups all the time. Our group kind of runs on a semester-based format, which means that we, we launch groups every January and every August. And when we do, it's actually split each semester into some quarters. So the, the group, uh, the spring semester group, uh, kind of A semester is starting today. And all of those groups will begin meeting the first week of February. And so we want you to jump into a group. We believe that's the best way for you to do it. Now, I recognize if you're in the room and you're an extrovert, you're like, yeah, I want to sign up at seven groups. And that's great. You do that. Uh, but if you're an introvert, you're like, no, I'm out. I'll just be friends with people from afar. And that's, that's understandable, too. I recognize some of our personality types. But this is more than just a personality thing or a social comfort. We really do believe that the idea <clears throat> excuse me, of biblical community is biblical. You know, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, uh, in the story of Adam and Eve, you see this, this one part of one verse where God says about Adam, it is not good for man to be alone, so I will make for him a helpmate. Now, this is Adam and Eve, so God then forms Eve from Adam and from the dust, and he, he forms Eve so that they can do life together. But even outside of the context of, of Adam and Eve and marriage and that type of relationship, we also recognize the principle that exists there, that it's not good for us to be alone. We're meant to be. We're created to be in community, in relationship with one another. And there are a variety of places within our church that it organically happens. When you come on a Sunday, you connect with other people. We know that. You know, we tend to be creatures of habit and and we kind of tend to repeat the same things over and over. So for the most part, not everyone, but for the most part, you kind of sit in the same area that you're sitting right now, right? Uh, Some of you are nodding at me. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, that's true. So when you're gone, I know it because your seat is, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the idea being that we kind of sit in the same general area. Well, the question is, how many of the people around you do you know? You know, maybe when Pastor Steve says on a really regular basis every single time, hey, you know, turn to your neighbor, turn to your right and your left and say, welcome to Canton Church. Or not Canton Church, Generations Church. It's going to take me a little while. Welcome to Generations Church. Hey, you say, hey, um, before I tell you that, my name is, and fill in the blank, hey, what is your name? I see you every week or I see you every few weeks or whatever. You know, what's your name? And you just get to know that person. That begins the opportunity to have some conversation so that you don't have to wait 6, 8, 10, 12 months And it's like, well, it's too awkward now to ask because we've high-fived each other for months now. It's too awkward. Just lean into the awkwardness. It's fine. And just be like, I should know your name. I had a lady one time. She was walking into Sequoia High School when we were meeting there. And and she was trying to do that thing where you you know you're supposed to know someone.
someone's name, but you can't remember it, so you try to find a really creative way to ask their name without letting on what it is. And so she was walking up to me, and she looked at me like, I should know you. I don't know if you're the pastor or the person that greeted me last time or what. So she looks at me with kind of like the, you know, those eyes, like I'm curious. And so she said, I said, hey, how you doing? Welcome today. We're so glad you're here. She said, thank you so much. She said, you know, I was thinking about this week. I'm sure it's just kind of, you know, something I was pondering. How do you spell your first name? And she said, and, and how do you pronounce it? Well, I don't always have quick wit. Like sometimes I think of the perfect thing to say two days later. But in that moment, God, by his grace, supernaturally imparted into my head something really funny to say. And so she said, how do you pronounce your name? And I was like, it's Haremi. You got to roll the R, right? Now, I said to her, I said, hey, it's okay. If you forgot my name, it's Jeremy. We're so glad you're here. And, you know, but what we do in the church world, we do this sometimes in work too. We'll say, hey, buddy. Hey, pal, when I was growing up in church, we called everybody brother and sister. I think that's because we couldn't remember anybody's name in our church. Hey, brother so-and-so, hey, sister, you know, because we didn't know people's name. Well, it's okay, just lean into the awkwardness and just say, hey, I forgot your name, or hey, my name is so-and-so. When you introduce yourself, they'll introduce themselves, and you can kind of have that organic community right around you. The other thing that happens is in the lobby, we greet one another. On our G teams, we have some community, but all of those things are like the secondary benefit of that kind of environment. The primary place that we want community to take place is in those G groups. They are created for community. And so for us as a church, we want them to be central to who we are. We want you to have that kind of community and fellowship and relationship with one another. We want you to find your tribe here. Again, I recognize, I'll reference it a couple more times. I know you've got friends in other places, I'm assuming. I know you've got other people that you talk to, other people that you're doing life with in various ways. But ultimately, as a part of this faith community of this church, if you say, I'm in pursuit of Jesus Christ, I'm I'm in full pursuit, or I'm just kind of toes in the water trying this thing out, we want you to be a part of a group of people, a tribe of people that are also in pursuit of Christ, that are helping you on that faith journey. And not everybody that you get into a G group with is going to become your lifelong friend, but you won't know until you try it. And I've said this, I've made this disclaimer now for several years, and I promise you, I'll help you. If you go to a G group, you sign up, you go, and the first time you go, you hate it. You don't like any of the people. None of them can cook. They think they can cook, but none of them can cook. You don't like to study, whatever. You come tell us, and we'll just tell the whole group that that day of the week or that night didn't work for you or you're allergic to what they cook, we'll get you in a new group. We won't even tell them and hurt their feelings. We'll just help you find another group. We want you to get into community. Community is really defined in two ways. One is what we understand about geographical location. It's a group of people in a similar area. The second way that it's defined is it's a group of people that have shared ideals or attitudes or goals. And ultimately, our groups are structured that way. We have some groups that meet in various places throughout the community so that you can go somewhere that's close to where you live. And we also have groups that are just based around attitudes, beliefs, ideas. I want to grow in relationship with God. I want to do a deeper Bible study. I want to hang out with people that are my age. I want to hang out with people that share, you know, similar interests. So we've got a softball group and we've got a seniors fellowship group and we've got groups that do Bible studies and we've got groups that, that, you know, serve together out in the community. We've got a variety of groups, men's, women's, kids, uh, youth, uh, seniors, young adults, all kinds of groups. This semester, we're launching more groups than we've ever had. We have over 30 groups available for you to sign up for. They're available beginning today. You can go to our website and look for a group that fits what you're trying to accomplish in your life. We want to help you to jump into a group. And so as we think about biblical community, 
again, just beyond groups, this is a biblical principle that wants to, we want to kind of use to guide our lives as we're trying to live like it matters. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. This is what it says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day there is capitalized. This is the idea of the day of Christ's return the day of judgment that is before us, the day where we ultimately will give an answer for who we have been and who we are on this earth. And so uh, as we think about that day, as we think about the end of all that is before us, we recognize that maybe we need to consider some things. And a part of that is to how, how we can spur one another on and encourage one another towards love and good deeds. We can encourage one another to be the best versions of ourselves in pursuit of Christ. And so when we think about that, we also recognize that some are in the habit of pushing away from that. He says, don't give up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. No, be together. Lean into relationship. And the, the reason that I think that's so important is because one of the great traps and tricks and tactics of the enemy, and he only has a few, is to get you to a place where you feel isolated, to get you to a place where you feel alone. Maybe not physically. You could be in a room filled with people and everyone in that room knows your name and you know their names and yet you can feel so alone. You can feel isolated. The enemy can make you believe that you can't talk to anybody about what you're thinking and what you're going through because they wouldn't understand. They would think you're so weird if you started talking about the thoughts that you have and the things that you've done and things that you had in your past. Whatever that is, the enemy wants you to know you can't do that. And so you push back from community and then you live in isolation. You build a wall. And when you are talking to people, you do so through this facade, through this mask where you can't really be honest. You can't be transparent. You can't be vulnerable. And here's what I believe. Not everybody needs to know all your junk. But somebody needs to know your junk. Somebody needs to know who you really are when you peel the mask away and you get honest and transparent and vulnerable with people as you do life with them. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, again, in this whole passage of Scripture here, this, this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, what we understand is that the Apostle Paul is writing about spiritual gifts, and he's writing about the formation of the body of Christ. And so he's saying that there are many gifts that exist within the body, and that's so obvious. It's evident here in our church, people that are gifted in unique ways that, that I'm not gifted or you may not be gifted, but you have gifts that others don't have. And when we knit those things together, when we give all those things to God, we say, God, we want to be a part of what you're doing. Then we say, okay, then we're fitting into the body of Christ to accomplish more together than we could accomplish on our own. But it's not just about spiritual gifts, and it's not just about, in verse 14, he says, there's one body but many parts. It's not just about that truth. It's also saying that when one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. You ever had an injury, right, when you, when you cut yourself? What happens is the entire body, even if you don't recognize it, your body was created by God so that something happens inside of you physically where it rushes to, to address that wound. Different blood cells and, and parts of your body go to try to close that wound and to stop the blood flow there so you don't just continue to bleed out. And, and when we have these medical conditions that make that uh, impossible, sometimes they're able to give us medicine so that it, it clots and it does the things that it's supposed to do. You have an injury, you have a bruise, it, it, it impairs the way that you walk. You You've hurt your leg or you hurt your hip or maybe you've got something going on. And so now all of your body experiences the pain in some form 
of what's happened to one of the parts of your body. That's the way that biblical community should exist. That when someone's hurting, when someone's in need and we're in relationship with them, they don't have to suffer alone. That we together can share in this burden and share in the load of suffering that they are experiencing. But it's also this idea that when they're honored, when they're rejoicing, we rejoice with them. <laughs> How terrible is it? Maybe you've experienced this. I have a couple of times in my life. When you get really good news and you can't get anybody on the phone to tell them. Like you, you came out of the, the annual review and not only did you get a good review, you got a raise and a promotion. And you call your spouse to tell them and maybe for the first time ever or at least in our case with Corey, they never have their phone ever, ever, ever and you're not sure why you even pay the bill because they can't find it ever, 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 right? Maybe the kids are playing on it. You just can't ever get it. So then you call like your dad or your mom or your friend and like nobody answers the phone. You're just walking up to strangers on the street like, hey, I got good news. Can I share it with you? Nobody else in my life will hear it. And, no, what happens is when we're in community with one another, we rejoice with one another. It's not just about sadness. It's not just about suffering. It's also about celebration. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says this, a friend loves at all times. They're there to celebrate with you, love you through the good times and the bad. But it says a brother is born for a time of adversity. A brother is born for a time of adversity. Friends are friends that you need. They're people that you need in your life. They enrich your experience in living. Corey and I have a kind of an artist, a singer, songwriter, musician named Ben Rector. We love his music. We've attended five or six of his concerts. We really enjoy his music over the last maybe 10 years or so. He wrote a song a little over a year ago called Old Friends. This is some of the lyrics from the chorus. It says, can you take me back when we were just kids who weren't scared of getting older? Because no one knows you like they know you and no one probably ever will. You can grow up and make new ones but the truth is there's nothing like old friends because you can't make old friends. You got those kind of friends that like knew you then, knew you when. They've got the stories. They've got the experiences. They know the things that you did. They know who you were. And, and you can't make old friends because as soon as you start making a friend, they're a new friend. And it takes so long to, for them to become old friends. You have to have shared experiences. You have to have stories so that now you know the inside jokes and, and you, can, you can start to tell a story and they have all of the backstory to fill in the gaps. You don't have to go, well, I forgot to tell you, you know, there was that one time that I lived and, you know, and then you got to go back, all these new friends. Those things are good, but you can't make old friends. You know how you get old friends? You make new friends and you do life together so that they become old friends. And friends are great. You got to have friends, but ultimately what the proverb is saying is that friends fall just short of being all the relationships that you need. Brothers, this word here in the original language is used in its broadest sense. It sometimes is used in the blood relative way, but it's also used as, as brethren. It's used on that soul connection that we have with some people. Maybe you've got some brothers or sisters in your life that you're not actually related to, but man, you, you'd go to the ends of the earth for them. That's what it's talking about here. It says brothers are, are there, they're born for a time of adversity. They're born for those moments when you've got to have someone when you don't have anyone else. There, there's no friend that you just kind of go to the movies with or go to dinner with that can walk with you through those moments of adversities. You need a brother or a sister in that moment. This last week in two different conversations, someone said to me, two separate people said to me this phrase, something connected to being a 2 a.m. kind of person. 
The first was earlier in the week. I was meeting with somebody who's actually one of our G group leaders. And they were talking about a relationship that they have. And they said, hey, I hope that they know that if they need me at 2 o'clock in the morning, they can call me and I'll be there. And I thought, man, that's great. I love that mentality. I hope all of our group leaders have that and embody that. And I think that they do. I hope so many of the people of our church embody that. And I believe that they do. But a few days later, I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine. We were doing a video call and just, you know, encouraging one another and, and talking about church a little bit. And as a part of that conversation, unprovoked, I hadn't kind of set the stage for this, unprovoked, he said, you know, I just, I'm just so lonely. And he said, I don't think there's anybody in the world that if I needed them at 2 a.m., I could call them and they would come. So I said immediately, I said, listen, if you need somebody, you're in New Jersey. It may take me a little while to get there, but if you call me, I'm coming, and on my way, I'm calling anybody I know in the northeastern part of the United States to get there faster than me. You've got somebody in me. Do you have a 2 a.m. kind of brother or sister? Do you have someone that if you're in a moment of crisis, and it's the middle of the night, you could call them and you believe they would come running? Let me ask one that's a little harder than that. Are you a 2 a.m. friend, brother, sister to anybody in the world? We all would want to say yes, right? I think. I think most of us say, yeah, I mean, yeah, if they called me, absolutely. I'd go. But where are you living that out? And do those people know that? Have you communicated that to them? Have you articulated that to them? And here's my promise to you. Everybody in a G group that you join over the next 24 hours or so, because you're going to do that, I know. But in the next 24 hours, when you jump into a G group, not everybody in that group is going to necessarily be a 2 a.m. person for you. But until you try it, how will you know? How will you know who has that kind of heart for you? But it's not just the bad times. Biblical community, relationships, friendships, brother, sisterhood, that's not just for bad times. Look at this in Proverbs 27, 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Last night, we were doing dinner at our house. Corey was cooking dinner. It was a phenomenal meal. And as she was making the dinner, I was trying to help a little bit and staying out of the way a little bit. And so at one point, she said, just about the time we were ready to serve the meal, she said, hey, can you cut some of this meat up for some of our younger kids? Can you just help cut this? I think it'll take them a little too long to do that. And so I reached into one drawer and grabbed a fork and a knife. And she was like, don't use that. And she grabbed a different knife out of a different drawer. And she pulled out you know, a, a little instrument. She put it up on the counter. And she began to sharpen that knife. I hate that sound. It scares me when my wife is sharpening knives. I'm not sure what, you know, it's just a fear of my, you know, anybody sharpening knives scares me. And so she hands me the knife, and so I take it, and I start to cut the meat in. And, man, it, it melted like butter because that knife had been sharpened to do what it needed to do and to accomplish what it needed to accomplish and to do it as effectively as it possibly could. And I thought about this scripture knowing where we were going to land today, and it caused me to ask this question, like, who's sharpening me? Who's sharpening you? Like, who plays that role in our life, not just for the good times and the bad times? Like, who am I in relationship with that's asking me the hard questions, that's challenging me about my assumptions and my presumptions about the things that I just know absolutely they're right in life, and they go, hey, but have you thought about this? Have you viewed it from another perspective? I'm not saying to intentionally surround yourself with antagonistic people that are just constantly like berating you. Oh, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I'm saying if their motivation is right and their motivation is I love you and I want to help you, do they have the opportunity, do they have your permission to ask the hard questions, to challenge the things that you're doing, to try to make you 
better? That's really the differentiator. What is their motivation? Is their motivation out of love for you? It's been said that we all need a group of people who love you but aren't impressed by you. They love you, but they're not impressed by you to the point that they're okay trying to say the hard thing, to say the last 10% to give you that little piece of information that maybe you're lacking or to call into question that little thing that you are sure you're right about, but perhaps you're missing this one area, this one truth, this one thought. Do you have those kinds of people in your life? I realize that's a tough question for some of us, but it doesn't have to just be who do I have in my life that I've given permission to do that. It can also be who, who's given me permission, who... Who am I in relationship with that I love? I'm not impressed by them to the point that I have permission to speak into who they are, to challenge them, to make them better, to make them sharper. We all need people like that in our lives. Perhaps one of the most famous passages of Scripture related to this idea of biblical community comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This is what it says in verses 9 through 12. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Every area of our lives is better when it's lived in the right community, the right relationships. It's been said that you are the sum total of the five people closest to you. So what do the five closest relationships in your life say about the trajectory of your life? What does it tell me about who you are trying to become? Who who you're chasing after with your life, what you're chasing after, what your pursuits are, what you're trying to get healthier in. It's not just the books that you read. It's not just the podcasts you listen to. It's ultimately about the relationships where you are knee-to-knee, face-to-face, having conversation with one another. And what we just read here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is two are better than one. We work better. We recover more quickly. We are comforted in times of need. Our needs are cared for. We are defended. Two is better than one. We can work better together. We're sharper together. When we fall down, and we will fall down, someone's there. To pick us back up. The enemy wants us to stay isolated because he wants us to stay down. He wants us to feel like we're beat up. He wants us to feel like we're a failure. Oh, look where I landed. Look where I fell. Look who I am. Look what I've become. But when we're living in biblical community, there's someone right there that's like, no, get up. You're made for more than this. You were created for more than this. You are not the sum total of your mistakes. You are not defined by your regret and your guilt and your shame. Get up. You're called to greater. God's created you on purpose, for a purpose. I believe in you. I see potential in you. Someone picks you up. And there are moments when you're able to pick them up and speak life over them. When you are isolated, cold, alone. You don't feel like you have anybody. You're by yourself. We've all been there. Maybe today some of you feel like you're right there today in this moment. The opposite is to have someone who can walk up to you and put their arms around you and say, I'm here for you. I love you. I didn't see you last week. I missed you. I tried to call you. I tried to text you. 
I'm here. We're here together. I'm in this with you. 2 a.m., something happens. You need a call. You got a number or two or five. You call somebody in your G group. They call everybody else. Now the whole group's up at 2 a.m. because you needed someone, and they're there. You're fighting by yourself. You feel overpowered. You feel overwhelmed. You feel like you're losing. You feel like you're giving up ground every second of the day, every minute of the day, because you don't know how to fight anymore. But when you've got the right community, the right people, you're fighting one side while somebody else has got your back, and they're fighting the other side. And maybe there's a third and a fourth person. They're standing there beside you, and we fight together against whatever it is that the enemy's trying to use to destroy our lives. Because we're not intended to live alone. We're intended to live in community. We want to help you find that community. And I don't promise you that every single person in whatever group or two or five that you jump into will be those kinds of people for you. But hopefully they'll be that person for somebody else in the group. And there's someone that will be that kind of person for you. And you'll be that person for someone else. And this church is stronger. Because you took a risk. You took a step out of Sunday morning into community, into a group. And so here's what I'm challenging you to do. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do it. I'm challenging you to do it. All the groups are active. They're all online. Go to g.church. Click on the groups. There's a picture of about five men together. It says G groups. It talks. Click there, and it will open up all the group opportunities. Look for one that works for you. I'm not asking you just to look. I'm asking you to join. I'm not asking you just to join. I'm asking you to go. I'm not asking you just to go once. I'm asking you to invest your life in community and allow community to make an impact on you. We were created for you want to live like it matters? Surround yourself with people who are trying to live like it matters. You've got friends. you got people you can go to movies and dinner with, and that's awesome. And you need those people. But you need some people who are also in pursuit of a living God. They're saying, hey, we're not perfect. You're not perfect. Let's be a little bit imperfect together, chasing after Jesus. One more thought. There's a proverb. It says, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. Maybe you look at a group of people, you look around you, and it seems like everybody else has community. They've got friends. They've got a network. You don't know how to even start. You don't even know where to start. I've already told you one place to start. Go to the groups page. Find all the information. Take a risk. Initiate conversation. Introduce yourself. High five somebody. Fist bump them. Nobody can say no to a high five, right? Just walk up like this. They're going to give you a high five. Initiate. Be friendly. Be confident. Be bold. Prayerfully ask God to empower you to seek community, to give community, to be in community. It's what we were created for. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. If you would say, Jeremy, for me, the first and most obvious step 
is to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life, to ask him to forgive my sins, and to guide my life every single day to the best of my ability. I recognize I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I've fallen short of the glory of God. If the wages of sin is death, then I am dead in Christ. And I'm asking him to bring new life to me today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, I, I just, I need some community. I need relationships. I need friends. I need brothers and sisters. I need some 2 a.m. people in my life. I want to be a 2 a.m. person for somebody. And I'm willing to jump in to the best of my ability to find community over these next couple of days. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right there? We want to pray for you. God, I pray now for every person in this room. I pray, God, that you would help us to seek you with all of our heart. You promised when we do, we would find you. So now I pray, God, for every person that's acknowledged their need for you today to be the Lord and Savior of their life. Forgive their sins. Change their eternity, God. Bring them from death to life. And God, I pray that you would become their Lord, lead and guide and direct them from this moment forward. God, I pray for those who are seeking community. God, that you would help them to, to be friendly, to seek it out, to initiate it. But God, I'm also asking that you would help us in this semester of groups to live out biblical community better. It wouldn't just be gatherings. It wouldn't just be great food and great conversation. That we would bear one another, bear with one another. We would forgive. We would seek unity. We would share in the pain and share in the rejoicing, God. We would care for each other's souls, spur one another on, encourage them to love and good deeds. God, we thank you that we have the ability to be sharpened and to sharpen one another in relationship. Let it be so here this church, in this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.